Well, good morning, church. I'm excited to be with you once again. I've been in this room two weeks in a row now, and I am excited to be here again. Whether you're receiving this message here with us in person or whether you are tuning in, watching a screen of some kind online, I want to welcome you in, especially if we haven't had the chance to meet before. My name is Bryce Holman. I serve as our middle school coordinator here at the church, which means I work with our amazing youth staff. Our youth staff is incredible. We have so many students that come in and out of our student ministry program, and I've been privileged and blessed to work with them for a little while now. Now, we are continuing our series, as the sermon bumper just showed, of Psalms of Ascent. And before we really jump into this morning's passage, I want to just take a moment to recognize how clearly I saw God spoke last week through our senior pastor, Jeff Kersey. I was in here to receive that message twice in a row. And if you haven't listened to it yet, I would highly encourage you go check it out on our Vimeo page. Go to our website and listen to it because I really believe God had something to say last week as we kicked off this series. And this morning, I believe God has a sense of urgency behind the message that he's given me. I believe it's one that we can very easily and must apply to our lives, not just today, but every day going forward. And so if you have a Bible with you, we're going to be turning to Psalm 120. We're going to jump right in. Psalm 120, if you have an app on your phone where you can access the Bible, if you're tech savvy like myself, you can turn to Psalm 120 there as well. Now, as, we, as, as Pastor Jeff mentioned last week, these Psalms of Ascent, as they were called, were sung by worshipers along the path to their road towards Jerusalem three different times a year for three different festivals and feasts per year. And so I, 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 I want to read for us these seven key verses, just seven, but very key verses in Psalm 120. So if you're able, I would ask you to stand right now. If you're in a car right now, I would ask you to stay seated for your own safety as much as you might want to stand. And I want to read for us Psalm 120. The writer says, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides, you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among these people who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for peace. War. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for every person that you've brought into your house, into your presence, whether physically here at Mount Horeb or watching through a screen of some kind. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way and you would speak very clearly to your people, including myself. Give us ears to be receptive and hearts to receive the message and apply it to our lives as you will for us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you the title for my message. It's very simple and it's very complex at the same time. Very simply, how to change the world. That's what I want to talk about this morning. How to change the world. Now the truth is, whether you're watching here in person or whether you're watching through a screen of some kind, the entire world is not going to be drastically changed, majorly just changed in the next 22 minutes that I have with you. But I believe that in this psalm in particular, God showcases a key principle related to my title. That in order to see change in the world, we have to first be open to change in our world. Here's what I mean. I could easily spend the rest of this message talking about and pointing out things in our world that we need to change and that we want to change. And most of those things that we would agree on need to change and want to change have to do with how we interact with one another and how we interact, most importantly, with our Heavenly Father. But in Psalm 120, I believe God desires to give us three crucial learning curves ourselves so that we can change our internal world, so that we can then go out and enhance our external world. So our first point of this morning is very simple. Just learn to listen. Learn to listen. 
In verses one and two, the writer says, I call on the Lord in my distress and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Now you see, the first two, verse two of this passage is the prayer that the writer is praying. And one verse earlier in the very first verse, he is recognizing that even if God does not answer my prayer the way that I thought he would or the way that I think he should, I'm thankful nonetheless that he gave me an answer. And if you're anything like me, you can look back to many times in your life, maybe, maybe, maybe just many times in the last week or so, where you can look back and say, God, I prayed to you. I asked you for this thing. I need you to bring healing upon this part of my broken life. And you didn't answer me the way I thought you would but I'm thankful nonetheless that I received an answer. And that's what the writer is displaying here for us. And this morning, the truth is God is always listening when his children cry out to him, when his children pray to him. Last week, Pastor Jeff reminded us that in Psalm 120, God says that I never sleep and I never slumber. He's always ready to hear and receive the prayers of his children. But the key this morning is when we're finished praying to God, after we've cried out to God, have we truly learned how to listen for his answer? Have we spent enough time with God in his word, in prayer, that we've learned how to discern his voice above all the other voices that are around us in this world? You see, the, the writer of this psalm proves to us that God has a track record of answering his prayers which means that he himself, the writer, has developed this innate ability to discern God's voice in his life and how he's working through his life. And if we believe that God hears our prayers, but we don't learn to listen for his answers, we will slowly but surely begin to be convinced that God doesn't hear us anymore when in fact he still does. So we have to learn to listen to God, but I also believe that God desires we learn to listen to the ones around us. In James 1.19 he says very simply, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. That's a very familiar verse for, for most of us. But I feel that our culture has tried to invert everything that James just said. Instead of quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, I feel like our culture has flipped it around and said everyone should be slow to listen to people because you need to be quick to speak and quick to become angry. You know, uh, there, there, there have been many times in my childhood, maybe you can relate to this, growing up where my mom or dad would sit me down to talk to me about something, address something that, that I chose to do or maybe chose not to do that I should have done or should not have done, trying to teach me something. And whenever those conversations were to start, I would often try to interrupt and try to act like I knew what they were going to say and fill the rest of their sentence that they were talking to me. And 10 times out of 10, not just nine times, 10 times out of 10, I was completely, utterly wrong based on what they were actually going to say. And if I had only learned how to listen in those instances, if I learned how to listen fully, I could then have understood fully. I believe it's the exact same in our relationship with God and our relationship with other people around us. If we learn how to listen fully for God's answer, we can understand more about maybe his plan for our life more about his plan for the world around us. And with, with other people, if, if we learn how to listen to other people, that's when the world change that we want to see starts to take place. And so we have to learn to listen. But I also believe that the second learning curve that God wants to give us is that we have to learn how to lament. We have to learn to lament. In verses three through five, the writer says that, what will he do to you? And what more besides, you deceitful tongue? 
He will punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshach, that I live among the tents of Kedar. You know, the word lament is defined very easily as a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. A passionate expression of grief or sorrow. And in preparation for this message, I believe God led me to the book of Job to show me and show us this morning exactly what this is supposed to look like in real life. You see, Job is one of my all-time favorite stories in the entire Bible. It's a story of how God allows Satan to take pretty much everything away from Job in his life that he likes, that he's happy, is there. Things that he's comfortable with. He takes it all away and leaves him with seemingly nothing. But Job has these three friends that hear about Job's condition whenever all this takes place in his life, when things are taken away from him. And they seek to comfort him in his current situation. And so the Bible says that when Job's three friends heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and just sympathize with him, just comfort him in the ways that he needed. And when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly even recognize him anymore because of the condition he was in. They began to weep out loud. They tore their robes and they sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, an entire week. And here's the key. No one said a word to him. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. You see, I believe that this is what lamenting is supposed to look like in 2020. They passionately expressed their grief and their sorrow through their tears, but they decided to sit with him in silence, giving them their ears if he decided to speak, but giving Job their presence regardless. Did you catch that? They gave Job their ears only if he decided to speak about the grief he was facing, the sorrow he was facing, talk about his current situation. But even when he didn't speak for seven days and seven nights, a whole week straight, they were there to give him their presence. And if you're anything like me, this is a tough one for you. Lamenting is something that I frankly am, am, am not very good at towards other people because Pastor Bryce always wants to help someone get out of their spiritual, physical, mental, emotional bondage as soon as possible, as quick as possible. But the truth is sometimes the very best thing that we can do for someone, first and foremost, that is hurting and that is broken is simply sit with them. Simply listen to them. Simply be still and know that God is indeed God. You know, a few years ago, I remember that I was in class at CIU, the college I went to. And I exited one of my classes, walking back towards my dorm room. And I remember I got a phone call and everything was normal that day. Nothing had, had, had really changed at this point. And I was walking back to my room. I answered the phone. I, I, I saw it was my mom. And so normal phone call, I thought. And I, I, I pulled the phone to my ear. And I remember hearing her say something along the lines of this. Bryce, I'm not really sure how to tell you this, but I'm just going to tell you. One of your close teammates, one of your close friends that you've known for a long time, his name was Nate, he committed suicide last night in his apartment at the College of Charleston. And I remember that I was physically walking back to class and it stopped me right in my tracks. Because any time before that, and honestly, any time after that, I had never heard news like that that affected me that deeply. But I remember that what happened next was the key that I want to point out in this scenario that relates to lamenting like we're talking about. I remember that my mom did not try to quote for me half the book of Romans. 
My mom did not try to give me 10 Bible verses that would force me out of my, 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 my current situation, the current way I was feeling emotionally. She just sat in silence on the other end of the phone. You see, she was giving me her ears if I decided to speak. But she was giving me her presence, even though it was virtual presence, still her presence, regardless. I believe that not only in Bible times, not only in the book of Job, but even now in 2020, that's exactly what lamenting is supposed to look like. And sometimes that's the very best thing that we can do for someone if we want to see world change in the world around us, but also in our world and even also in their inner world. And you know, when I first read the, the, the verses three through four in this psalm, I immediately pictured the writer having this angry tone behind the words that he was saying, talking about the punishment that's going to come on these people who are living this sinful lifestyle, practicing deceit, lying to everyone's face. But in light of what we just discussed from Job, in light of what we just discussed in that story in my past, and in light of what lamenting is supposed to look like, I feel like I was wrong. Because what if the writer's tone in saying what he's saying is from a perspective and a posture of lament? It's almost as if he's, he's experiencing grief and sorrow because he knows that what's to come on these people is not going to be very good, but he knows that there's a better way. He knows that there's a better life they could be living. And even now in 2020, the truth still remains, I believe, that there are many hurting and broken people in our world. That's very easy to see. There are those who are living a lifestyle of sinfulness that is taking them down a very dark path. And if Jesus were to walk onto this stage right now, and he were to grab this microphone out of my hand, which I would be so okay with. He is Jesus Christ. That is awesome. I believe that he would want to point out two things as it relates to lamenting in this very passage that we read in Psalm 120. Two things very clearly. The first thing I believe Jesus would want us to understand is that we can't be afraid to call out sin when we see it. We can't be afraid to call out sin when we see it. In Galatians 6.1, Paul even says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. The writer in this psalm models this as well. As he's willing to call out the lying, he's willing to call out the deceit exactly for what it is. And Jesus himself models this principle all throughout his ministry. But each time Jesus does this, it's in such a way to show people that there's a better way. That he himself is the better way. And I believe that that's the model he desires that we follow in our daily lives, in our daily interactions with other people. We can't be afraid to call out the sin when we see it. But the second point I believe Jesus would want us to understand from this passage is that we can't let someone's sin keep us from sitting with them. We can't let someone's sin keep us from sitting with them. In Mark chapter 2, the Bible tells an incredible story of while Jesus was at a dinner party at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with he and his disciples. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with these sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why on earth does this guy, Jesus, who you follow, why is he eating with these sinners and these tax collectors? And when Jesus heard this, he said, guys, it's not the healthy that need a doctor. It's the sick. Because I haven't come to just call the righteous. I haven't come to just save the righteous who are already living a righteous lifestyle. I've come to call sinners. I've come to call the people who have pain in their life, who are broken because of where the world currently is right now in many different capacities. That's who I've come to call. Now, I'm sure that in interactions like those that we just read about, there was also some truth being spoken directly from Jesus' mouth towards the people he was eating with. But he was able to recognize. 
he was able to recognize that he held the better life that they needed. Whether they wanted it or not, and whether they knew it or not. And he chose to sit with them first, listening to them, and even at times expressing his grief and his sorrow because of the sins that they were stuck in and practicing in their life. You see, because Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, we have to be willing to go about interactions with those around us who are hurting and broken in this kind of way, sitting with them and teaching them the truth and ultimately showing them the only source of abundant life, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's what I believe God desires of us, to truly see change in our world. So in order to see the change in our world that we want to see, we have to first be open to change in our world by listening, by learning to lament. And then finally this morning, I believe that God really needs us to hear that if we want to see change in our world, we have to be open to learning how to live with shalom, with peace. In Psalm 126 through 7, to close out the chapter, the writer says, Too long have I lived among those people who hate peace. You see, I'm for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Now, this word shalom is actually the Hebrew word used here for our English translation, peace. And it's used many times in the Psalms to describe the hopefulness and the wholesomeness of life spent in close relation to God. Hopefulness and wholesomeness in life spent in close relation to God. You see, like I mentioned at the beginning of this, this whole Psalms of Ascent idea that we're running with, that we're tracking through scripture, looking at, the writer is going towards Jerusalem when he says these words. He's seeking the peace, he's seeking the shalom that he currently does not have in his life. And in verse five, he, he even mentions these two distant lands, Meshach and Kedar, that are often associated with wars going on, not constantly. Warring people, constantly fighting one another and being far from the peace that he's wanting. He's been living among people who don't have the peace that he's looking for. But the key is that he knows exactly where he can find it. He knows exactly where it can be found. He's on his way to Zion. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's knowing, he's praying, he's believing that God can provide him with the shalom that he's so desperately been seeking. And maybe this morning whether you're here in person or whether you're watching through a screen, you have entered into God's presence seeking the exact same thing. In fact, you've been looking everywhere but to God to try to find that peace. You've been flipping on the news and you haven't found it there. You've been having conversation with people around you who maybe are looking at this situation from a very drastic perspective that our world finds ourselves in and you haven't found it there. You've been looking to other people in your life. You haven't found it there because you haven't looked to the true source yet. Maybe for you, you've, you've come into God's presence and you've known Christ for a long time. You've been walking with Christ for many, many years now and you've even experienced this shalom, this peace that the writer talks about. You know what it feels like personally, but recently you've let your current circumstances affect your closeness with God. You've let your current circumstances get in the way of you being closest, intimate with your heavenly father. You know, two weeks ago, I got the privilege to preach over in our auditorium on Philippians 4 to close out our Philippians series. And I remember so clearly that I talked about how Paul talks about the peace that transcends all human understanding. And I believe that in this same passage in Psalm 120, it's the same type of concept being talked about from God's word. 
Because the truth is people won't understand how we can have peace when there's war going on around us, whether that's physical, emotional, mental, or even spiritual warfare. People won't understand how we can have peace when there's a pandemic in our midst that doesn't just look like it's going to disappear in the next day or two completely. But nonetheless, the word of God tells us exactly where this shalom, this peace can be found. And it can be found in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, not just when the environment is perfect to find peace, not just when the finances are great in our life, not just when we don't have to wear a mask to come to church, not just when things are amazingly perfect, seeming like they're perfect in our life, but always, at all times, we have access to this peace that's talked about. You see, this, this, this writer of Psalm 120, as he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's going to gain intimacy with God because he knows that that's how his shalom, his peace can not only be found, but it can be increased and it can be strengthened. And this morning, if we want to increase our peace, I believe that we have to increase our intimacy with the only one who can truly give it to us. Church, there are many in this world who are hurting right now. There are many in this world who are broken for many different reasons. There are many who are living a sinful lifestyle and don't even know that there's a better way to be living. There are many who would rather turn to war than seek peace. But I firmly believe that if we learn to listen to those around us, if we learn to lament with those that are hurting, that are broken, and if we learn to live with this shalom that can only come from Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe that we will start to see change in our world so that we can then go out and be the change to the world around us. Before we pray this morning, whether you're here in person or whether you're watching online, I want to very clearly give you a few moments to simply lament, simply be still and know that God's God and God's got this. Simply look at parts of your life, ask God to point out parts of your life that you haven't spent enough time lamenting over. You see, the, the point of lamenting in scripture and here today in 2020, I believe very clearly is not to just stop at lamenting. When Jesus chose to go sit with people, when Job's friends chose to go sit with him, they didn't just go with the intention of sitting with him and then leaving once he started to decide to be okay. Jesus didn't just go sit with people so that he could be in their presence for 20 to 40 to an hour long, however long it took, and then just leave. But the point of lamenting back then and even here today in 2020, I believe, is to draw you into a posture of worship. To get you to a point where you can worship the God Almighty no matter what's going on around you because of the God who lives within you. That's what I believe lamenting is designed to do. The truth is there are people receiving this message right now who have lost jobs when they didn't expect it. Who have had to experience more on the front lines of healthcare than they have ever had to experience before and they ever thought they'd have to experience in their life. There's people who are broken due to a loss of some kind in their family or close friend group. And there are people hurting simply due to where our nation is right now in many different capacities on many different levels. And if that's you this morning, I would invite you not to just rush past the way that you feel, but to spend time actually lamenting actually inviting God to come meet you in the middle of it. Maybe for you, you know someone who falls into those categories that were just mentioned. I would encourage you to, to reach out to these people, to sit with these people, to listen to these people, to comfort these people. Even here at Mount Horeb, we have a ministry, an amazing ministry called Stephen's Ministry, which is designed to do that very thing. 
I know that myself and the rest of our pastoral team would love the privilege that it would be to do this kind of thing alongside you, with you, to lament over the parts of you that are broken, that are in pain, that are hurting. And even if due to COVID-19 right now and social distancing policies, we can't always sit with one another physically, the good news is if I'm reading this book right, which I think I am, we serve a God who's willing to come close to us at all times, no matter how far we are away from him, if we'll only invite him, even when nobody else can and nobody else will. There's a God who's willing to come close to the power of the Holy Spirit. He's a God who listens to us when nobody else will. He's a God who is willing to lament with us and alongside us for the parts of us that we are feeling broken in. We're feeling weighed down by the sins that we're struggling with. He's a God who is willing to give us the shalom, the peace that we so desperately desire in this life. And as Melody's about to remind us during our final time of worship, I firmly believe that if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please hear, please allow God to show you that he is a God who is willing to meet us right in the middle of the trouble that nobody else knows about. There's trouble that some of us have faced in this life. Maybe we're currently facing in this life. There's pain that we have that we could put into a thousand different words, but humans could not understand it. But we have a God that understood, understood it before it even came into our lives. He knows exactly what we're going through. He knows exactly the parts of us that are in good shape and he knows the parts of us that are still broken. And he wants to invade both of them. He wants to invade all of you. And I believe that he's willing to come close to you in this very moment, even when nobody else will and nobody else can. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the privilege to share your word with your people. I pray that you would remind us that if, if we really want to see change in our world, we have to be open to change in our own world first. God, I pray for that person listening, receiving this message right now, whether in person or online, that has never met you before, that doesn't know you personally, Jesus, and therefore doesn't know the peace that you can bring people, that doesn't fade. God, I pray that they would not wait another moment to accept you in this very moment. I pray for those of us who, who know Jesus Christ, but are still hurting with certain things, still have brokenness in our lives. I pray that you would mend what's broken. You'd show us how to listen to those around us and listen to you. You'd help us lament with, with the things in our life that, that need to be lamented over, but also help us lament towards other people with other people. I pray that you would give us the salome, the peace that we so desperately desire. I pray that you would meet us right in the middle of the trouble that nobody else knows about. Lord, we give you all the glory for anything and everything that's been said this morning. God, I thank you for the privilege to worship you now as we close. And it's in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen.